Thank you so very much, praise team, for leading us today. We're so grateful for your ministry, and uh, it's great to have Adeline. This is, I think, her first time uh, with this praise team, and Adeline, we welcome you and your wonderful ministry in so many ways to us. Uh, I would like us to read together this morning the scripture passage for the morning sermon. If we're in the black church, we would stand, and so why don't we do that today? Let's stand, and would you join me in reading God's word from Matthew chapter 5? You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus Christ. You may be seated. This is probably one of the most challenging sections along with the next one in the whole Sermon on the Mount. It is challenging in two ways. One, it is widely misunderstood and often made stricter than it really is. But second, even allowing for that, it is completely contrary to the way sinners think and act. In fact, after reading this section together, this question, go another mile, doesn't that reflect our disbelief at what Jesus is telling us to do? Uh, in Jesus' day, Roman soldiers had the right of requisition over the Jewish people. Uh, that meant that uh, they could um, ask uh, anyone to pick up their heavy equipment and to carry that equipment for one mile. And so they could stop a person, no matter what they were doing, uh, tell them to pick up their equipment and to lug it for one mile. And uh, there was no please. There was no thank you. And the Jewish people so hated this humiliation that they would count 1,000 paces and they would drop that equipment and go no more. And now Jesus says to these ungrateful soldiers who put upon you like that, when you are done with the one mile, you voluntarily agree to go a second mile. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking what I'm thinking. You have got to be kidding. No way. I am not going to go another mile. Now, we can really begin to see clearly, can we not? Why, in order for us to live the Sermon on the Mount, we have to have grace and the Holy Spirit. Don't you agree with that? 
I mean, for us to be gracious like this, we have to have the grace of God. And for us to overcome everything in our old nature that says, I will not be put upon in this way, we must have the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning, as we continue looking together at the Sermon on the Mount, I want to bring this message, what Jesus has to say about accepting wrongs. And I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to look today at verses 38 to 42. Now, as we do, we're going to see that Jesus develops his teaching this morning in three very clear and simple ways. First of all, in verse 38, he shares with us the Pharisees' abuse of the Old Testament. Then in the first part of verse 39, uh, Jesus gives to us his blessed correction for our lives. And then beginning in the second half of verse 39, all the way to verse 42, he gives to us his application so we can understand exactly what it is our Savior wants us to do. Let's begin, shall we, with the Pharisees' abuse. Here's what they did. They turned justice into a license for personal revenge. Jesus says in verse 38, You have heard that it was said, Eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Now Jesus is here is describing the Old Testament teaching called Lex Talionis, translated the law of retaliation. This is the fundamental principle of all legal justice in every law-abiding nation or society. And it is cited in the Old Testament in a number of key passages. Let me put them up on the screen for you. Exodus 21:24 says, Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Leviticus 24, 19 and 20 says, If anyone injures his neighbor, whatever he has done must be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he has injured the other, so he is to be injured. And Deuteronomy 23, verse 21 says, Show no pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Now, do you know this was actually a gracious and merciful provision by Almighty God for two very important reasons. Number one, it limited the punishment to the nature of the crime. Lex talionis means the punishment must fit the crime. And this is actually found in our own constitution that says it is illegal for us to inflict cruel or unusual punishment on any criminal. Second reason why this was very, very gracious and merciful of God is it outlawed people from taking the law into their own hands. Uh, this outlawed the old Western code of vigilante justice. 
If you were to go back and read the context of all three of these Old Testament passages, you would discover that the justice is to be administered by a court of law, including justices. Now, this is where the abuse of the Pharisees comes in. There was one school of the Pharisees, the school of Shammai, the famous rabbi Shammai, who taught that this allowed personal revenge. So they twisted these scriptures out of their context to permit people the excuse of getting back at others. Hey, that's all we need, isn't it? That's all we need, isn't it? If there's anything that is natural to human nature, it is wanting to strike back. In fact, we have a well-known saying that says, don't get mad, get even. You know that well, don't you? Boy, that came so easily off of our lips, didn't it? And the tragic thing is, it comes so easily out of our hearts, doesn't it? And so Jesus, knowing us all too well, brings his correction very clearly in verse 39. And he says believers should surrender their personal rights instead of retaliating. Can I just say, ouch? Surrender my personal rights? Jesus says very, very clearly, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now, this has nothing to do with the peace versus war debate. It is not prohibiting self-defense when we are attacked. Uh, Let me make it very clear. It is not denying us legal protection from somebody who is trying to take advantage of us. In fact, sometimes it is our Christian duty to have the law protect us and our families. Also, sometimes the most significant thing we can do for someone else is to make sure that they obey the law and not get away with the evil that they have done. So this is not denying any of those things. Well, what is Jesus saying then? The key to what he says is in the word resist, resist. It is a very, very strong word. It literally means to fight back against. It carries the idea to oppose in return. It is a word that carries the notion of hostility. Here is a very good paraphrase of what Jesus says. Do not take revenge on someone who wrongs you. That is a very, very good paraphrase. What Jesus is describing here is trying to hurt somebody in the same way that they have hurt you. 
It is what we often describe about an individual who is trying to get their own pound of flesh. It is somebody who is trying to punish others so that they will experience exactly the pain that they have done to us. Now, I've got to stop right here and think very deeply about what Jesus is saying. I think what he's saying is this. As Christians, we have given up all of our personal rights to the Lord Jesus. I will never forget in my Christian experience the first time I realized that as a Christian, I have no personal rights. That all I have as a believer are responsibilities to make sure that in my life and in the life of others that God's will is done and I have given all of my personal rights to the Lord Jesus. I love this quotation that I want to share with you from the great theologian and pastor from our country, Jonathan Edwards. Listen to his words, and I know you agree with them. I know you say, this is right. This is how I feel about my own relationship to God. He said, I claim no rights to myself. No right to this understanding, this will, these affections that are in me. Neither do I have any right to this body or its members. No right to this tongue, to these hands, feet, ears, or eyes. I have given myself clear away to God and not retained anything of my own. I have given every power so that for the future I claim no right to myself in any respect. Don't we say from our hearts, that's right. That's what I've given over to my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, knowing this and understanding this and believing this, how then can we say, I am going to get what I deserve no matter who I have to fight in order to get it? How can we possibly ever say that? It is this spirit of animosity in fighting for our own personal rights that Jesus is rebuking. Now Jesus, as you know, as he has done in this whole section, is the master illustrator. And he gives to us four illustrations so that we can apply this teaching. He gives us four illustrations about Christian non-retaliation. And as we begin to look at them, one of the things we must understand is this, that Jesus is using hyperbole in what he says. Now, you know what hyperbole is. Hyperbole is when you exaggerate something for the purpose of arresting people's attention so that you can drive home their point. Here's what Jesus does. He takes the most extreme cases and he takes them to their very extreme limit to show us how important non-retaliation is. These statements are not to be taken in their wooden literalness because if we did, they would contradict other places in the Bible. 
What they are are general principles that we are then to apply in all of life's circumstances looking at the whole teaching of Scripture. Let's look together, shall we, for uh, a few moments at these very, very penetrating principles, all right? Here's the first one. We should endure insult without retaliating. In verse 39, Jesus says, If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, contrary to our first impression, this has nothing to do with receiving a beating from somebody else. Most people are right-handed. So if you were to reach out and slap somebody with your right hand, you would actually hit them on their left cheek. So when Jesus here is describing hitting somebody instead on their right cheek, what he is describing is hitting them with the back of the hand. If I as a right-handed person came up and, and hit you with the back of my hand, then I would hit you on the right cheek. Now, a backhanded slap in the ancient world was the most grievous offense that you could give to another person. In fact, Jewish law permitted a person who was insulted by the back of the hand to take that person to court, and if they won the lawsuit, they would receive double the fine. This was such a grievous insult. But notice what Jesus is saying. No to his followers. Instead, what Jesus says is, let them insult you again. What he means is, do not trade insult for insult. If necessary, you be willing to take more insults rather than respond. I have to say to you as I think about this, there are all kinds of ways that people can hurl insults at us. There are so many ways and it is so hard for us not to respond in kind to this kind of treatment. Many years ago in our former church, uh, there was a, a dear elderly lady who I had been the pastor of for many, many years, and she spent the last couple years of her life in a nursing home, and she passed away in that nursing home. Her son, uh, who lived in another state, uh, totally cut me out of the funeral for this lady, Bessie. And it really surprised me because uh, I had been her pastor for many years. I knew her very well, loved her, she loved me. But what I learned was he felt in the last couple years of her life that I had not visited her enough in the nursing home. Now, we had a pastor of visitation who visited her quite a bit. I visited her when I could. 
But her son was very upset with me, and it was a clear act of vindication, of of vindictiveness on his part, not to allow me to have any portion at all in that funeral service. You know what my first thought was? You don't want me at this funeral? All right? I'm not coming. It didn't take long for the Holy Spirit to tell me that was not the way to go. But I have to tell you, it was very hard for me to go because I knew when I arrived, I was going to experience animosity from him and other members of the family, making it very, very uncomfortable. But I went. A strange thing happened. During the course of the funeral, this son's heart softened towards me. Imagine my total surprise when at the luncheon after the service, he comes to me and personally asks me to lead in prayer over the food and began friendly asking me how things were going in my life. And evidently what happened was my showing up at his mother's funeral, showing my respect to her, and demonstrating kindness melted the grudge that he held towards me. And I want to say to you today, I am so glad I did not return insult for insult. If I were to meet him on the street today, and he lives in Tennessee, we would be friends to this very day. Do you think maybe that's why Jesus said this? I think so. I think so. Let's look at the second application. Application number two. We should accept loss to settle disputes. Look at verse 40. Jesus says, And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now, this is describing a very vindictive lawsuit of a poor person to extract money from them. The tunic would be a reference to our street clothes, like we have on this morning, the clothes that we wear on top of our undergarments. And to sue a man for his street clothes would mean two things. Number one, it would mean he was a very poor man. He didn't have much. And it would mean that you were trying to extract and take from him what little he has. Now let me ask you, what would you do if you were so poor, all you had essentially of value was the clothes on your back, and someone was so vindictive, they sued you to try to take that from you? You know how I think we'd react? I think we'd say, all right, I'm going to get a lawyer. And I'm going to fight you tooth and nail. And if I win this lawsuit, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to counter-sue you for all the emotional damage that you have inflicted upon me. Is that not modern-day America? Of course it is. 
Instead, what does Jesus say? He says, you give him your cloak too. That was the overcoat that was even worth more. Now, what is so astonishing about this is the Old Testament says you could never sue a person for his cloak, his overcoat, because for a poor person, it was often used as his blanket to keep warm at night. Therefore, God said he forbid anyone to deprive the poor of it. And yet Jesus says, if you're being sued for your street clothes, you give that person your overcoat as well. What is Jesus saying? I think he is saying that as a Christian, we should be so concerned about peace that we will lose personally to end hostility. Here's what happens. When people dig in on personal lawsuits, they get nastier, they get uglier, and they get more bitter. And the more and more they dig in, the more and more the acrimony and the fighting drags others in and spills over into many lives. I knew one person in my former church who so dug in to a personal lawsuit that she brought incredible stress upon herself. The stress damaged her health And shortly after the lawsuit was over, which she lost, by the way, she died very suddenly. And you know what her sister said to me? Her sister said to me, it was the lawsuit that killed my sister. And I had already concluded that personally as I I had observed what took place in her life. But now I want you to think what Jesus is saying. We're to be Beatitude Christians. That means that we are meek, we are merciful, we are peacemakers. And we don't want this kind of hostility between us and others. And so for the Christian who lives like the Beatitudes say, we are concerned far more for relationships than we are for money, so we are willing to take a loss if necessary to keep the acrimony, the fighting, the bitterness, the resentment, the harm that will take place as that lawsuit becomes more and more bitter. Let me tell you what the believer's goal in any personal lawsuit is. The goal is always this. What can I do in this personal lawsuit to stop the damage that I know is coming? That's what Jesus is saying to us. It is the ethic of those who are following another way. Let's look at the third one. Thirdly, Jesus says we should do more than require. By the way, isn't this just getting easier as we go along? We should do more than required. Verse 41. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. If a soldier comes along and says, I want you to carry my equipment one mile, you don't count the paces and stop and say, I'm not going any further. 
And think about why this would be the case. God has been so good to us, he has been generous far more than we deserve. Now what Jesus is saying is we ought to be like God. We should be generous to others, always being willing to do more than is required. It always grieves me when I'm dealing with my children, and I ask them to do something, and and they complain about a simple thing that I've asked them to do. And then I come here and I see that Jesus says the attitude of our hearts should be when I'm asked to do something, even if it be from somebody who maybe is even taking advantage of me, my attitude as a Christian is God has been so generous to me, giving me far more than I deserve. I ought to do more than I'm being asked. Oh, I long to see that spirit developed in my own children. Let me share with you a little bit about how this has occurred in my own life. Uh, Two years ago, we were given a brand new street where I live, uh, complete with several feet of brand new sod on each side of the road. On the other side of the road from me, there is a, a vacant wooded lot, and they got two feet of sod as well. And, of course, the question came up, who's going to mow the lawn in front of this wooded lot? And as I was thinking about that, this principle of Jesus, that we ought to do more than is required of me, came to my mind, and I thought in this way, you know what? I should not care just about my own yard, that it looks nice and pretty. I ought to care about the beauty of our entire neighborhood. I ought to go the second mile. And so, I've personally taken it upon myself to mow that couple feet wide strip of grass on the other side of the street. There's a fellow who walks his dog uh, through my neighborhood on a regular basis, and And we've gotten to know each other, and and I've been friendly towards him. In fact, in the past, he's even come here to Bethel. And this last week, while I was mowing that strip of grass, he came by with his dog, and he said to me, Why are you doing this? Now, he knows I'm a pastor. And it dawned on me. This man has come to Bethel and he has heard me preach. I don't have to tell him why I'm doing this. He knows I'm a Christian. That's why I'm doing this. He hasn't been to Bethel to hear me preach in a long time, but he can't miss hearing me preach the sermon I'm preaching right now. And all of a sudden, I realize that's why Jesus said this. Do you know what happened to a lot of those gruff, rough, evil Roman soldiers? They saw Christians who were so gracious in response to them 
that it broke their evil hearts. And one of the joys of the first century church was seeing many Roman soldiers come to Christ because of Christians who went the second mile. No wonder Jesus says this. Let's look at the last one, shall we? We should be generous toward real needs. Jesus says in verse 42, Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Beggars were very common in Palestine. There was no welfare, social security, or Medicaid. And therefore, if you could not work, you could not live. Therefore, without the generosity of the well-off, a beggar could not survive. Their needs were urgent, and their needs were honest. And there was plenty of opportunity to give, for there were beggars all over Israel. Now let me say once again what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean we have to give to the dishonest or the lazy who do not work. But what it does mean is where the needs are real and where the people are honest, we are to be open-handed and we are to be generous. After all, recognizing that we are poor in spirit, the very first beatitude, we have come to God offering Him nothing, and He has filled us to the full, though we do not deserve it. Now as people who know that we are poor in spirit, we see the poor all around us, and when the need is real, and when the need is honest, God says, I've been open-handed to you. Now you, be open-handed to those all around you. When I was a student at Moody Bible Institute, our president was Dr. George Sweeting. I have to say to you that I, I love Dr. Sweeting dearly. He was a man of God. He had a humbleness about him. He was a great Christian leader. And the longer that I've been in ministry, the higher his stature has grown and the more that I have loved him and been grateful for the three years that he was the leader of my school while I was there. Do you know Dr. Sweeting's uh, motto? His life motto that is the title of the biography that was written about him is seldom repress a generous impulse. And his life story is entitled a generous impulse. This is what he also said. When we come to the end of life, the test will be how much have we given, not how much have we gotten. Isn't that what Jesus is saying? Isn't he saying to us here in this difficult passage, that my followers are not about themselves, they are about God, and they are about others. 
They understand that when we come to the end of life, the test will not be, how much have I gotten? Rather, it will be, how much have I given? And understanding that, we will endure insult without retaliating. We will accept loss to settle disputes and hostility. We will do more than is required of us. And we will be generous towards real needs. And all of God's people said today, Amen. Let's bow together, shall we, in prayer. I'm so grateful for the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. I think of the many times that I have wanted to treat people in the way that I felt they were treating me. I think of the many times that I've chafed at what I've been asked to do and resented wanting to do more. I think of the times I have seen even Christians ripping apart relationships, because they had to have what they thought they deserved at all costs. And I think of the time in which I reached into my wallet and could have given the larger amount, but gave the smaller amount. And I know today, as you think about your own life, you know your failures as well. And today we serve a forgiving God. If there's any portion of Scripture that condemns us, it is the Sermon on the Mount. And our Savior died because He knew we would fail Him time and time again. And yet as we see His blessed example and see His words which are so contrary to the world that we live in. We are drawn after this kind of living. This morning, wherever God might be touching your life, would you ask Him for His forgiveness? Would you thank Him that you have a gracious Savior? And then, would you say to him, Lord, because your spirit dwells within me, and I know he will lead me to be different than I am, I will draw upon his strength to be this unselfish person in this very selfish world. 
Lord, we are always conscious of the fact that the world is watching us. And they are expecting something different from us. They can insult us, but they expect us not to do the same to them. They can be greedy and grasping, but when they see it in us, they expect something so much different. They can be content with doing only what they're paid for, but they expect the followers of Christ to give and give and give again. And so we pray, Lord, today that you will help us to listen to the voice of Jesus, the voice of the other world, the voice of the kingdom, and that we will gladly lay down our personal rights because we're living for him who loved us and gave himself for us. Thank you, Savior, for teaching us your way. We follow you today for your sake. Amen. I love this final song that is chosen to bring home to us the words of our Lord. And once again, I want us to sing it prayerfully and meditatively, not too quickly. But let's ask the Lord's mind and heart to be developed in us today. Would you stand and let's sing. As we get to that last verse, we'll be dismissed. God bless you. Have a great day in Him.